If you have primary school-aged kids or grandkids, make sure Vision Kids is part of their daily routine. Vision Kids! Vision Kids is a 24-7 online radio stream featuring the ever-popular Adventures in Odyssey. Hi, this is Chris. Welcome to Adventures in Odyssey. Plus other world-class radio dramas, kids' music and friendly voices. G'day, Vision Kids. Vision Kids is streaming now in the Vision app and online at visionkids.org.au. You can also tell your smart speakers to play Vision Kids Radio. If you don't already have the Vision app on your phone or tablet, you can download it for free when you search Vision Christian Media in your app store. Vision Kids. Another way we're helping the whole family look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Turning our attention to the challenges facing the whole world, dealing with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and there are diplomatic challenges around Australia's place in the world with the rise of China, the threat to Taiwan, and developments in the South Pacific. Now, you'll know that Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has visited Indonesia and has reportedly flagged Australian defence cooperation with Indonesia and other Southeast Asian nations amid increasing competition in the region between the US and China. We might be prayerful as we contemplate the enormity of pressure on our new Labour government. Deeply embedded in our conversation today may be those stirring undercurrents around how the communist mindset in Russia and China thinks about the West, including the fact that much of what we do in Australia still looks very Christian. Well, Peter Westmore is joining us through this hour. Peter is a former president of the National Civic Council and publisher of News Weekly. Peter, a special welcome back to 2020. Very good to be with you, Neil. Peter, just as we get things underway, perhaps uh, your historic interest in these geopolitical developments and how they're affecting Australia, you've got a long history in the way you've been commentating and dealing with some of these sorts of issues. But listeners might not be so familiar with you, so let's just start with a, a little bit of personal insight. Yes, Neil, thank you. Neil, I first became interested in these matters when I was a student at uh, Sydney University in the late 1960s, so that's an age ago. And um, uh, this, of course, was at a time of the Vietnam War. And um, originally, I became sort of concerned about what was going on on, in, on campuses for what I would regard as patriotic reasons. I was concerned about the future of our country, and it seemed to me that many of those who were sort of speaking in the name of students in those days uh, were acting in a way that was really acting in the interests of um, the great communist powers, then the Soviet Union and China, uh, and wanting Australia to be defeated in its attempt to support a democratic and non-communist government in South Vietnam. Um, that was where it all started, Neil. Uh, but I came to see that it wasn't really just a matter of even patriotism or politics. It was a moral struggle. And that this was a, one which has been certainly with me in the whole of my adult life in seeing that 
the, the world's, even politics, is an expression of a moral struggle. And it is very largely a struggle of the Christian world or the Christian-shaped world against the forces of either um, communism, Marxism, um, or of um, secular humanism, which we've seen the rise of in, in Western countries over the last 30 or 40 years as well. So, yes, I see this as being a moral issue, not just a political issue. Well, it's a powerful foundation to discuss where you're coming from there because listeners will know uh, that oftentimes when we talk about uh, the rise of China or as what's happened with Russia and the invasion of Ukraine, we're talking about communist countries and communism yes. typically has as its basis Marxism, which is an atheist yes. theology uh, in the sense of uh, gets rid of God out of, uh, out of that yes. thinking. And so here we yes. bring our own nation into a conversation like this and so many people will describe Australia as a secular nation and certainly now yes. with Anthony Albanese as Prime Minister, a Labor government in charge, there's this secular humanist focus on governance and the yes. way that they are trying to relate to uh, the West as well as uh, these issues in the East. So I wonder if you've yes. got any thoughts here on, on our new Labor government and where it sits in all of this, Peter. Yes, well, um, firstly... Um it is interesting that Albanese, uh, Anthony Albanese, who comes from the left wing of the Labor Party, which is traditionally the section of the Labor Party which is very secularist in its approach. But I'm rather taken by the fact that, you know, when he's talked about the influences upon him in, in growing up, that he has specifically referred to the fact that he grew up in a Christian environment. And so I, I don't think we should assume that, you know, all of the actions of the, that the government takes, and many of the actions that he takes, of course, are dictated by, in a sense, the ideology of, <clears throat> of his party, which is left-wing and secular. But he himself, I think, is, we shouldn't sort of simply say there is no hope there. No, there is always hope. And I think some comments that he's made have indicated that he will be influenced by the Christian background and Christian faith which he grew up with. So, yes, he does represent a party which, was, which is, um, in its outlook, aggressively secular, but he himself does have a Christian background, and I think we can be just grateful for that um, as he has become the uh, Prime Minister of our country. And there is a sense, isn't there, that when you aspire to a secularism, uh, when there's that sort of humanist focus for your government, uh, the very fact that you've been shaped by the Christian forces that have built a nation like Australia means that a lot of the ways that you think are actually very Christianized. So even when yes, you've got I, a... Exactly. Yeah. Yes, a, a, a secular aspiration, uh, but there's been a Christian formation in that, and so yes. in some sense, yes. in some sense, that might be a valuable thing because 
uh, trying to navigate this balance between East and West. So you've got the West uh, and our relationship with the United States, which has been a very yes. Christianized foundation, and then these yes. Eastern communist rising powers and how we sit in there. Yes. Uh, it's it's yes. a it's it's a tightrope to walk, isn't it? Yes, but I take some comfort, Neil, in the fact that we see in international affairs continuity with the policies of the uh, former government, Scott Morrison's government, who, of course, was has repeatedly said that he is strongly shaped by his Christian faith and Christian beliefs. There is continuity between what he is saying in foreign affairs and what... Anthony Albanese is saying in foreign affairs. And, uh, you know, I, I take some comfort from that. I hope it is continued through the course of the next three years. Um, but uh, at least the early signs are quite hopeful, in my view. So we won't see from Albanese a swing towards sort of the far left, which is something which has happened in the past in Australian history when a left-wing government took power, say, under Gough where there was a sort of a the humanist revolution took place in Australia and it was accompanied by a major push internationally to, in a sense, play ball with both China, communist China, and with the Soviet Union. Now, Albanese's position on those issues is quite different and I applaud him and I hope that this government continues that policy. There's a lot of things to talk about, even in this short time since the election, because Anthony Albanese uh, travelled overseas to be a part of a quad meeting. And, uh, of course, that was uh, with the US and uh, Japan and uh, also India. Uh, yes. But he's also now made another international visit to Indonesia. And uh, he's met with the Indonesian president, Joko Widodo, a strong yes. relationship between Indonesia and Australia and uh, the aspiration uh, for peace and stability in our region. Peter, as you reflect yes. on these big meetings uh, that Prime Minister Albanese has been part of already, they are significant, aren't they? They're very significant because, in a sense, it sets the agenda for the future. And there is no doubt, I think the Prime Minister recognises that Indonesia, which is, I think, the fourth largest country in the world by population, not by area, but by population, um, is very important for Australia and Australia's strategic interests in the Asia-Pacific area. Uh, and also, of course, uh, you know, being a near neighbour, it's also a significant trading partner. So Australia has close interests in having good relations with Indonesia, if possible. And it does seem that those feelings are reciprocated in Jakarta. And it's very interesting to contrast the attitude which Indonesia is taking towards Australia with the attitude which China is taking towards Australia, where we saw just uh, a short time ago, last week it was announced, that a Chinese military jet had attempted to um, intercept an Australian aircraft flying in international waters, a very clearly, uh, very clearly a hostile act. And subsequent statements by the Indonesian government has basically warned Australia, has not backed off from what they did. It has, in fact, said Australia should take that as a warning. So China is not backing off 
one inch from what they have said or done about Australia. And again, I think it's interesting that we see continuity between the policy of the Albanese government and the Morrison government in foreign affairs with regard to China, because the Prime Minister has said, our Prime Minister has said, he totally rejects the actions of the Chinese government. And it's interesting that his Foreign Minister has had, since the election, has had two trips to the Pacific Islands to attempt to reassure the island states of the Pacific that Australia retains a strong interest in the future of the Pacific Islands, their economic and strategic sort of um, interests, and wants to work closely with them and does not want to be replaced by China, which is a totalitarian Marxist dictatorship. So I think all of those signs actually, the early signs, admittedly, but all the signs are actually quite positive there, that we are seeing continuity in foreign policy. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might have your own insight to offer into our conversation today. Peter Westmore is our guest, former president of the National Civic Council, publisher of News Weekly, and we are talking geopolitics, the way the world is changing, the interactions between East and West. If you talk about the rise of communist China, of uh, communist Russia and the invasion of Ukraine. If we talk about Anthony Albanese, our new prime minister, in the mix, mixing it with the quad and his latest visit to Indonesia. Just before we move on, Peter, there's another dimension that we can talk about here which just just uh, uh, solidifies just how complex it is to navigate the environment because our nearest neighbour to the north, Indonesia, is uh, one of the, or well, is the biggest Islamic population on the face of the earth. So you've also got these mixes of, uh, of Islam to our north and mixing with our secularist uh, government here in Australia. Uh, thoughts around that one, an extra dimension in the mix? Well, thank you, Neil. But um, yes, Indonesia is, um, I think, the largest Islamic country in the world. Um, uh, its policy, the policy of Joko Widodo's government towards um, its Christian minority in Indonesia is quite interesting and it's been one of tolerance of the Christian minority. So unlike many of the governments in the Middle East um, um, and even in the Indian subcontinent, the policy of the Indonesian government towards its Christian minority, at least under the present government, um, has been one of tolerance. And I think actually they know very well that Australia is a country with strong Christian foundations. And in their dealings with Australia, they, that is taken as red. And I think that it is quite a, a source of comfort to me that the Indonesian government, knowing where Australia comes from, being a country of uh, a Europe, predominantly European culture, and the dominant culture in Australia comes from its foundations, 
uh, and they are accepting of that. They don't, don't, in my view, want to change us from what we are. Um, and they would regard us as being good and faithful allies to them because they, of course, have a whole series of huge problems, um, not least, by the way, the problems of dealing with China, which has been pushing into Indonesian um, uh, waters um, by its claim to the whole of the South China Sea. So, yes, Indonesia wants to have good relations with Australia. It is an Islamic country, and therefore on a range of issues, it has different views from our own. But um, nonetheless, it wants to have good relations with Australia, and it's in Australia's interest to have good relations with the Indonesian government. And a large amount of Australia's foreign aid historically has gone to Indonesia. Uh, there has also been, by the way, close ties between the Australian Defence Forces and the military forces in Indonesia. And that's been quite controversial because of the way that the military in Indonesia has been used in places like uh, East Timor in the period of when they occupied East Timor and more probably, in a sense, uh, an issue to the present time down in um, West Papua, which is, you know, where there is a significant Christian minority and which is very rest, restless because of what they perceive as being the, um, the an attempt to Islamise um, uh, West Papua. So, yes, there are very complicated issues there for any government in Australia to deal with. Um, we want to encourage stable government in Indonesia. We have to be sensitive about also wanting to protect the rights of minorities, and that includes Christians in Indonesia. So, yes, there are really complicated issues to be dealt with there. I'm always conscious that there are more Christians in Indonesia than there are people in Australia. So the church yes. in Indonesia actually is very substantial and yet... Yes, in, and, and vibrant too. And vibrant, uh, but in the context of the size of the population, uh, the church still is a very small minority small compared minority, to the size yes. of the uh, of the Islamic population in Indonesia. Yes. And uh, glad to hear yes. uh, you're raising the issues around around West Papua as well, which has been a, a yes. contentious issue there where yes. there are largely Christian people in West Papua who yes. are being trampled yes. over. Uh, yes. But we won't, we won't enlarge too much on that today. <clears throat> Let's uh, just touch on here, Peter, uh, just as we're talking about these uh, divergences in the way that uh, these ideologies and religions and political uh, ideologies are so different and how, how they are shaping the region, just how difficult it is uh, for Anthony Albanese to negotiate some of those things. You might hope that he's got some advisors around him that actually recognise uh, some of the religious as well as the uh, political ideological differences uh, that are happening in the way that uh, the things are, are developing. Well, you would hope so, but I, uh, from my, my limited knowledge of uh, Australia's uh, Foreign Affairs Department, I rather doubt that, Neil. I, I think that they are 
very much part of the uh, of the Canberra bureaucracy, and that is very secular. I would say much more secular in its outlook than most most of the population of Australia, for example. Um, so I don't think there's very much sign that there'd be there'd be sort of good advice coming from that quarter. But I think that some of Australia's allies, particularly from the United States and probably to some extent from Britain and other countries, would, would be giving Australia very good advice on how they should deal with some of these contentious international problems. And in a sense, that's a reason why Australia is and has traditionally been sort of part of the West, a Western alliance, however informally it might be de, sort of defined, um, but which ties into our own history, but also our very close historic strategic ties with the United States, which go back to the Second World War. And, and which, by the way, Albanese himself has referred to when he's been subject to some hostile press criticism about Australia's alliance with the United States. He referred back to the fact that this is a close alliance which has been continuous right through from the early 1940s. Peter, there's lots to talk about, but let's talk through some issues here around all of the differences that we've been discussing uh, global issues and uh, different nations coming from different foundations. We've got Anthony Albanese here in Australia now leading our government. The thing that appears to be uniting all of these different uh, differences in the way the world thinks uh, is this issue around climate change. Uh, any thoughts here on the uh, the, in the interest in climate change and the way that that is manoeuvring the nations of the world in a single direction? Well, Neil, this is an issue which has actually been around for, I think, a lot longer than most people think. Um, the original push for uh, what's called climate action, which is basically the uh, abandonment of the use of fossil fuels goes right back to the 1990s and to the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, which has been pushing this agenda since the early 1990s. Uh, in fact, there were a couple of summits. There was the Rio Earth Summit in, I think, 1992, and then the Kyoto Summit in 1998. So that's now nearly 20, nearly 20 well 24 years ago the Kyoto Summit. And in fact, at Kyoto, a formal decision was made that the countries of the world, but in fact led by the European Union, would push for the abandonment of the use of fossil fuels, which were said to be causing uncontrollable increasing in the Earth's temperatures, which was, was we were told, would lead to a disaster, disastrous climate change, which would lead to um, apocalyptic consequences. Now, Neil, I'm doubtful about all of that. Um, you know, I'm uh, very much influenced by the thinking of 
some American climatologists, including Dr. Roy Spencer, who has a very good website which documents in a moderate, sensible way what's actually happening with the Earth's climate. And his work, um, he, he's the per one of the American researchers who posts every month the changes in the actual temperature of the Earth as it's been recorded from satellites over the last 40, over 40 years. They've been measuring the Earth's satellite temperature and it shows a slight, certainly manageable increase in the Earth's temperature since the late 1970s, around about 0.1 degree per decade. And this contrasts with the approach of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is, whose work is based on computer models, and I think the computer models of the atmosphere, which is a very complex system, are radical oversimplifications. And the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has been predicting has said that the Earth's temperature has already risen by one and a half degrees Celsius and that if we keep on going with our present use of burning of fossil fuels, it will go up to three degrees C by the end of this century, again based on computer models. And all that I would say is computer models are only as good as the data that's fed into them. And the actual temperature changes are far more modest than they predict. And in fact, in this time when, if what the IPCC says is true, we should already be facing um, climate catastrophes. In fact, what we see is that the Earth's temperature, which has risen slightly, and the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has risen you know, certainly significantly since the start of the Industrial Revolution, but actually the world now is able to feed itself better than it was a 100 years ago. And certainly in my life, I would say that the environment in which we live, the air that we breathe, is actually cleaner than it has been at any time in my lifetime. And, and so what we might be concerned about... Going is uh, is the alarmism that goes along with some elements of the climate change debate. And uh, we also might be concerned uh, with what's happening so far as a looming energy crisis. And uh, yes. we might be concerned about what is happening with these major players that we're talking about in a geopolitical movement environment. And we'll continue yes. talking about those in just a few moments. But I want to make way here. Uh, listeners, one 316 16 to join our conversation let's take a call or two let's hear from graham in tasmania hello graham welcome good morning gentlemen look we're living in the most interesting times in the world from my point of view ever because we've got prophecy in full swing and we also the push for climate change i see climate change people will see some program they've got ice ages and uh, this happened 2,000 years or 15,000 years, then that 10,000 years, and that was a real quick one. So it, it's a bit of a spin. But the other thing is that uh, the nations are becoming fearful of Russia, 
China, North Korea. North Korea got a response on the news. They said of what, four rockets or something, and I think it was the American might send four rockets off just to let them know that we'll uh, come back at you. The world is frightened, and we're huddling together. And this is prophecy that's been spoken of in Daniel, Second uh, Thessalonians, Revelation 13, and we can say Matthew 24. We're coming to the time of troubles, of the time of the coming into the time of the Gentiles, and uh, we we uh, we need to get into our Bibles. You're absolutely uh, spot on, Graham. Uh, these things that are happening in a time like this, uh, they have a real connection to the biblical narrative around uh, prophecy and something we need to take very seriously. Uh, a, a thought or two here, and uh, your thoughts, Peter, for Graham, uh, and uh, but Graham raising a very, very important issue around the fearfulness that comes uh, when there are uh, threats uh, for use of nuclear weapons and the like. Fear is a great motivating uh, factor for defence and uh, and also for posturing. But uh, your thoughts for Graham here, Peter? Thanks, Neil. Uh, yes, uh, Graham, uh, Graham I, I think that, um, yes, we do live in, in a sense, very troubled times. Um, but at the same time, we as Christians are people who are people of hope. And we are told and repeatedly told um, in the scriptures to trust in the Lord and to believe that he will not abandon us. And I think myself, he has given us within our minds and through our faith and so on, the tools with which to address the challenges which the world faces. And, you know, if one looks at what's happening um, around the world today, I personally don't believe that there is any problem which the world faces which for which there is no solution. And I think we draw upon our Christian faith and with optimism say, we are going to address these problems and to make the world a better place as we do them. And I think that's the story of the, uh, of the world over the last couple of centuries, actually, that major problems have arisen, major challenges, even world wars have arisen, but we've been able to use what is good in our societies and so on to build... Um, resilience and the capacity to meet those challenges. Graham in Tasmania, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's continue to take some calls. Jenny is in New South Wales. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for your call. Yes, how are you? Good. Might need to turn your radio down in the background. What are your thoughts? I'll turn it down. Yes, I have a little cartoon here of, um, of Peanuts. And um, <clears throat> Lucy and um, well, one of them are looking out the window and uh, Lucy's saying, oh, look at all that rain. It might flood the whole world. <laughs> and the other one's saying, <clears throat> it won't do that. Um, in Genesis chapter 9, God promises that it will never flood again. God will never flood the world again. And the rainbow is a sign of that promise. And Lucy says, you've taken a great load off my mind. And the other one says, 
sound theology has a way of doing that. <laughs> Wonderful stuff, and uh, very good. and and you know the peanuts cartoons are so filled uh, with the wisdom. And I'm trying to think of the name of the cartoonist who do, who did peanuts. Schultz. 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 Yes, that's right. Yeah. And uh, but yes, a wonderful illustration of what we're seeing through the window with the rain falling. Uh, we've got something of a hope and the promises of God that mean that even if we are going to be facing difficult times, uh, we're promised that God is the one who's got it all in control at the end of the day, and that hope that comes with that. Uh, a thought or two, Peter, for, for Jenny. Yes, Jenny, uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think that we do need to always remember that when uh, Jesus, before Jesus left the earth, he said he would be with us and with us all days to the end of time. And that's sort of separate from the Old Testament promises which were given to Noah. Um, I think we need to just always keep that sense that it is within even the bad things that happen on earth. God knows about them and either he will uh, himself intervene to resolve them or he will give us the tools to do that and I think as Christians there is always reason for hope now it's it's not blind hope it has to be sort of uh, moderated by our understanding that bad things do happen and there are wicked and evil people in the world and that we have to stand up against them so Yes, completely agree with you um, and um, would also add the fact that, you know, Jesus himself has said exactly the same thing. Jenny, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Mike is in Tasmania. Hi, Mike. Oh, good morning. After Noah got off the ark, God said, as in Genesis chapter 8, as long as earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. I'd rather you know, believe God's word than alarmism. Wonderful stuff, Mike. Uh, a thought from Peter. Yes, and I think that one of the reasons why alarmism has taken hold, particularly in West European countries, is because people in those countries or the governments in those countries have forgotten the fact that, um, in a sense, those countries are Christian in inspiration and that we can put trust in God. I think they have tended to say, we, as um, intelligent, one hopes, human beings, we are in control. And I myself think that is always, uh, firstly, it's arrogance to say that because the truth is we are never truly in control. And we have the reassurance of faith to know that God is in control, despite the appearances that might at times make us think that everything is out of control. No, he is in control. Mike, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Time's running short for our conversation. Uh, Coming back to uh, this issue of climate change, uh, because this is a central factor in what's happening 
geopolitically around the world, I'm sure that you can read into uh, what's been happening in Russia and the invasion of Ukraine, what's been happening with China and uh, posturing even in the South Pacific, uh, all sorts of issues around uh, climate change uh, here, and that's developed into what we might even say is an energy crisis. And uh, just looking at the news headlines today, you'll see energy crisis is a part of what's going on uh, for us here in Australia. Your thoughts here on how all of this might even be interconnected, Peter? Uh, well, Neil, the way I look on it is that, firstly, there's not much doubt internationally that um, the soaring price of petrol which we see at the Bowser whenever we go to fill up and which is sort of shocking um, is driven by international events and most recently by the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine because Russia itself is one of the largest exporters of energy around the world. It is a very large supplier of petroleum to Western Europe and gas to Western Europe and and to other to other other parts of the world as well. So Russia's invasion of Ukraine has in a significant way disrupted international energy supplies and pushed up the price of particularly petrol, which all of us need um, in our lives. I have a different take, however, on the problems of a shortage of um, gas in the southeastern states of Australia at the present time. Um, I myself think that the shortage of gas in Australia is actually due to domestic factors. And I think the political parties have been pussyfooting around the reasons for the shortage of gas. I trace it back to the fact that governments... um, and I would say pushed by extreme environmentalists, have wanted Australia to abandon <coughs> sorry, to abandon fossil fuels in favour of renewable energy in the Australian energy mix. And the problem with that, and we've been trying to do this now for the best part of twenty years, the Europeans for an even longer time, the problem is renewables do not completely or sufficiently replace fossil fuels. And the campaign against fossil fuels, which includes brown coal in Victoria, um, coal, which is the engine of Australia's electricity system around the country, the campaign against fossil fuels has led to the closure, the premature closing of coal-fired power stations, and that has itself driven up the price of electricity. But the campaign against gas has very substantially delayed the development of gas resources in New South Wales and Victoria, even to the point where you've had banks saying that they will not provide capital for the development of uh, of gas resources or of, of coal mines, um, And the result of that has been, I think, a human-caused shortage of gas in Australia. The politicians, in my view, are all tiptoeing around this. They actually know. And that's the reason why, um, you know, we've had 
um, calls on the federal government calling on them to reserve some of Australia's export gas, which actually comes from, is exported from Gladstone, mainly from Gladstone in Queensland, some from the Northern Territory as well, but mainly from Gladstone in Queensland. Governments have wanted to, have been facing pressure to reserve some of that gas to supply the shortage which exists in New South Wales and Victoria and South Australia. The problem with the policy of reservation of gas is that there are currently limited gas pipelines from outback New South Wales and Queensland into the southeastern states, and those pipes pipelines are already full of gas. They can't carry much more. So a reservation policy on gas exports will not lead to more gas coming into New South Wales or Victoria or South Australia simply because there is a limit on the existing gas pipeline infrastructure and that will take years to address and there are no gas import terminals in either New South Wales or Victoria. So you could fill up a gas tanker in Gladstone and say, well, we'll send that down to Victoria. But when you get to Victoria, there is no place where that can offload the gas or the gas can be reprocessed to be fed into the gas system in Victoria. There have been attempts made in recent years to build terminals, gas import terminals in Victoria and New South Wales, and all of them have been stopped. So I see the gas crisis at the present time as self-inflicted injuries by Australia on Australia, sadly, and the reason being driven by the push by the Greens against fossil fuels. And there are challenges now there for our new Labor government around the infrastructure that might allow... Australia's energy to be used efficiently and therefore uh, help alleviate some of the crisis. Hey, look, running out of time... And we've we've had a Labor government in Victoria which has known about this issue for years and has done nothing about it. Mm. So, yes, very much so. Let's squeeze in one more call quickly. Norman is in Innisfail in North Queensland. Norman, need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Um, He's told me that most of our perception is corrupted by our fear of death and dying. Uh, in 2018, the father awoken me in a dream state revelation, a se- severe sweat and the smell of burning reactor wise. And the insi- insinuation was that the, um, the fire at a reactor is, he's protected me all my life, resurrected me daily now these days. Um, and the fire is is something that he can't protect me from, and that mm-hmm. that's that's his revenge, tribulation, the great shaking, cataclysm, and uh, revenge, tribulation, and the cat the uh, lift off. Um, Norman, always inspired by the richness of your spirituality and uh, the sorts of uh, dreams and visions that you have. And uh, perhaps another day we might have some longer opportunity to unpack some of those sorts of things. Uh, Time has run out, uh, Peter Westmore, and I know that you're writing about these sorts of issues 
And uh, listeners can access uh, by way of subscription the News Weekly. Uh, you can subscribe to News Weekly on the National Civic Council website. So uh, ncc.org.au. Uh, the sorts of articles that you tend to uh, be editing and writing, Peter, what, uh, just a, a quick plug here for your News Weekly. Yes, Neil, thank you. I think we provide a unique perspective on some of the big issues facing Australia. Um, obviously, international issues are, are, are a significant part of that, but also domestic issues. The, the sort of challenges which uh, families face and, you know, some of the issues have been sort of touched on by our questioners, um, you know, even the push towards sort of transgenderism, which was an item in the, in the news uh, this morning is one which we have taken an interest in. So yes, I'd encourage your readers or your listeners rather to um, take a look at our website. News Weekly uh, is now part of the NCC website. That's ncc.org.au, and you'll find the links there. And um, you know, for people who want to get a taste of what we have, you can sort of get a. Um, a trial subscription or sign up to get an article every every uh, every uh, fortnight uh, from our print edition of News Weekly. So thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you, Neil. It's a pleasure as always, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Peter Westmore, a former president of the National Civic Council, is publisher of the News Weekly. It's ncc.org.au. Peter, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.